Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. Happy Friday, St. Louis. It's Hancock and Kelly in for our regular gig. How about that? Tom Ackerman in studio. That rarely happens on a Friday, huh? It's good to see him. It's good yeah, to see him. Yeah, he's usually on the golf course or something. <laughs> something. He doesn't have time well, for us. He's a big dog, you know. You got you to gotta do that when you're a big dog. That's John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. Buddy, I dealt with a cold all week. I heard. And so I, I can't went believe to the, you didn't my, infect me. No, I didn't. You know, went, I'm, I'm pretty darn healthy when, when you get right down to it. Yeah, when I think of the picture of health, I think of, well, John Hancock. Yeah, that's coming right. in. You're like, you're like Donald Trump. What are you, about 6'4", 185 pounds? 6'2". 6'2", yeah. 185? Well, uh, my, yeah. my left leg weighs 185. <laughs> hey, but anyway, I, I went and got a bottle of... Uh, medicine. What do they call it? Like uh, Tylenol. Tylenol. That's exactly what John, they call it. I could not read the instructions on the bottle of Tylenol. At your advanced age. No, it's not only at my advanced age. My eyes are perfect when it comes to reading. I only need eyeglasses for distance. I could read it. So what I had to do is I literally had to take this bottle of Tylenol, yeah. put my cell phone on, and zoom in so I could read the instructions of how often I can take Two pills. Well, you just take two pills. But yeah, but how many? How often can you every do that? Six every hours. six hours, every eight hours. Well, on this one, it was every eight hours. Well, six is fine. Well, okay. What are you, a doctor too over yeah, there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Clearly, the picture of health mm-hmm. and and you know all the medical answers. But anyway, I we we often lament regu- regulations, and there's so much regulation. How come they can't put on the b- bottle of the pills? Look, two of them every six hours, and make it so that a regular human being could read it. Well, it's a, you got a small little bottle. If you'd have bought a big bottle, the print would have been bigger and you could have read it. Well, that, you know, I never thought about it that yeah. way. So you think it was a capitalistic move that... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they oh, want okay. you to buy the bigger bottle so you can read how many pills to take and it costs more money. That's the whole... That's how marketing works. You yeah. bought the little tiny bottle with the little tiny print and you had to get your uh, magnifying glass out. So I've never had a headache before in my life. If, right. Um, ever. Have, have, you, have you ever had a headache? I don't think I have. Yeah, when well, people, I mean, the picture of health. I mean, when you, people say, oh, I have a headache, I don't even understand what that means. That means your head hurts, Michael. It's, yeah, but uh, I mean, has your head ever hurt? My well, head does not never only, hurt. Only after listening to you for even time. Even after, like, a night of rip-roaring, celebrating Frivality. the Cardinal uh, victory, I, I don't have happens. head hurts in the morning, yeah. so I'm not one of those people. That's ever had a headache. So when people are always like, oh, my God, I got a migraine, I'm like, I don't even understand what that is. Well, now, migraine's a different deal. That's a headache. That's a bit. You're all messed up with a migraine. Have you had a migraine? Of course not. I'm the picture of health Ditto. I've never had any of it. So when people talk about that stuff, don't you just look at them like, okay, well, that's No, because I can can imagine what a headache. Yes, Mm -hmm. I'm very empathetic. Uh, Aside from being a picture of health, I'm also a picture of empathy over here. Yeah. See, but I, I don't know. It's just one of those things. I, I'm empathetic to people who have headaches. I don't understand it. Now, something I've been warned about and yeah. I'm petrified of. You know what this is. Shingles. Shingles. Uh-huh. I am absolutely petrified of shingles. They will not give me the uh, uh, vaccine. If you've had the chicken pox, you have the shingles have you, have you virus to, in your have body. Have you tried to lie about my age? A 50? I've, I've tried everything. Yeah. But, I mean, maybe I'll I ought to go you, in there. If you and, slip them a 50, they'll uh, take care of you. Some of these ball players lied about their age to be older uh, or to be younger. to be younger. Yeah. I could go and lie that I'm older. There you go. You could and say, "Hey, now listen, you, know, uh, you, you could, they got you me could all get wrong. away with fifty. Let me tell you. You'd, really? Oh yeah. I had a lady walk yeah. up to me the other day at Walgreens when I was buying this pill, and she said to me, "She goes, you look so much older on TV, Mr. Kelly." And I said, "Well, I think that's a compliment. Thank you." Huh. And she goes, but that you know that other guy, he 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 looks the same every time I've ever seen him in person. So somebody had seen you in person. Well, it's uh, it's not much to see. I hmm. don't think people study me very closely. People can see us at eight thirty on Fox Two on Sunday, you where know what we'll else? be uh, doing the Hancock and Kelly Television Show. Yeah, we'll but be there. AMOX, the twenty twenty three Large Market Radio Station of the Year, recognized by the Missouri Broadcasters Association. KMOX, we were built for this. And welcome back to the Hancock and Kelly Show. Every week at this time is when we have our political segment. By the way, you're going to want to stick around in this next hour. We're going to be visiting with Jason. Uh, what's Jason's last name? Lieutenant Colonel Jason Law of the yeah. St. Louis County Police Department. Yeah, and he leads the St. Louis County Strike Force. They were intimately involved yesterday in the apprehension of Wayne Boyd, uh, Tommy Wayne Boyd, the uh, sexual predator suspect who escaped from Mercy Hospital 
Uh, it's going to be riveting. You're going to want to stick around for that. John, uh, speaking of riveting, wanting to stick around, they didn't stick around too long in Congress. Uh, they were supposed to pass a budget, but uh, McCarthy, the speaker, can't get his own team all in line. He sent them all home for the weekend. It's likely that we're headed towards a government shutdown. Yeah, it's starting to really look that way. There's no way they're going to get the budget bills passed. I mean, even if suddenly you had agreement, there's just too much logistically that needs to happen. So the only way they could really avert uh, a shutdown is to pass a continuing resolution to keep funding the government at current levels. And that could that could last for however long they set it, two weeks, two months, whatever they want to do. But that doesn't look all that likely. And you've got a lot of divisions here. So you've got the division in the House, uh, the Freedom Caucus members, and then the, the smaller subset of the, you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Matt Gates is of the world uh, that, that are a problem. Uh, and then you've got a real disconnect between the House's position on a lot of this stuff and where the Senate is. Uh, in the Senate, they're going to want Ukraine funding to be in, in the continuing resolution in the House. There's a whole lot of opposition to that among the Republicans. And then there are a lot of these cultural issues as it relates to the military and the, the abortion funding that Tommy Tuberville is fighting uh, that they're trying to write into any kind of legislation. That probably doesn't fly in the U.S. Senate either. So just getting to a what seemingly would be a simple continuing resolution is not so simple. And I think more likely than not, you're going to have a shutdown. Yeah. And remember the majority for in the house is only what four seats. That's right. And so speaker McCarthy can't afford to lose many votes. He's got seven of these kind of extreme caucus members, right. Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Bobart. Uh, you know, they're just out there that are never going to agree to anything he wants to do. When, uh, you know, meanwhile, you have the Republicans in the Senate saying, look, if the House fails to do this, the government will shut down and it'll be on the hands of the Republicans. Yeah, I, I mean, the party of, in Congress, whenever these things happen, they get the blame for it. Now, I don't think the political fallout will be long lasting. I remember the last time we had a government shutdown and everybody was pulling their hair, hair out was in 2013. And... Uh, Ted Cruz, you might recall, single-handedly created that in the U.S. Senate, and uh, he was catching a lot of flack, and they were saying this is going to cost the Republicans at the polls next year. And 2014 came, and it was a historically good midterm for the for the GOP. They took uh, added to their majorities and had just a tremendous election year. So uh, we shall see. Uh, I'm more concerned about the actual implications of a shutdown. We've already had one credit downgrade by Fitch's uh, of of the U.S. bond rating. And if you get another downgrade of a credit rating, okay. that has real implications. What is the end game of M M Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene? Because they say it's about spending. They didn't care about spending when Donald Trump was in right. charge. Right. They say, you know, I mean, is it really just breaking things and trying to make a scene what is the end game here because i think there are different agendas at work but i think a lot of it is you know i've got the power to shut down the federal government you know how cool is that i, I think Isn't that I think crazy that kind of a attitude is out there i do think there's concern about spending and you're right uh, the, that concern we raised the debt limit i think four times during the trump presidency and it was never controversial everybody voted for it and you know, we kind of moved on so, uh, you know, the spending concerns are um, seasonal, perhaps. <laughs> but, you know, the, but I think there's a number of different agendas. And I think there's just not, um, for a number of members of Congress, I just think they don't care if the government shuts down. Yeah. They don't think Isn't it's that, that big of a deal. And in, it, in some ways, they're right. I mean, stuff is going to get funded, and you may delay a paycheck for a little bit. For the people who fight in our military? Right. Yeah. Give me a break. Yeah. Uh, but they'll get their money eventually. But I'm, the bigger concern I have, you know, we are the world's currency, the dollar. And if you start 
chipping away at the well, legitimacy of the dollar and the credit rating of the United full faith and credit of the United States gets questioned. There are people out there, countries out there that would love to- nothing more than to knock the U.S. dollar off its throne, and that's a real concern. Well, that kind of goes to another thought, and I was going to get into the specifics of Ukraine, but there is this isolationist pen that's running through Congress. It's mainly a vein that's running through the Republican Party, but there are some in the Democratic oh, Party, sure. a much much smaller well, contingent, not as, not as vocal. But you think about World War II, you think about World War I, you think about every major thing that's happened. The United States has been the country that's been leading the world, at least the free world. We've been leading the free world. Now people are wanting to surrender that, allow the, you know, folks ought to just figure this out. I, I, I don't know that I want other people making decisions. We may not make the best decisions, but at least America's making the decisions. I wonder if we're going to surrender the currency and being the world leader all because we want to break things and, and feel good about ourselves. And then we're going to be left at the will of what? China? Russia? France to make the decisions? Well, I don't think you have to worry about France. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, now that kind of... I'll call it nationalism uh, from a foreign policy standpoint is not new, uh, certainly not new in the Republican Party. We had a major presidential uh, conflict over this very issue in 1952 between Robert Taft, who didn't want us entangled with all these foreign countries, and Dwight Eisenhower, who eventually got the nomination and became the president, who clearly believed in U.S. supremacy in the world. And the concept for nationalism is why do we spend the money? Why are we involved? What difference does it make? If we need to protect our borders, we're not even protecting our southern border right now. We need to protect the United States of America, keep it safe, keep it free. There's no need to entangle a lot of these foreign countries that we're giving money to or bad actors. Um, I mean, there are arguments to be made for that kind of an approach to foreign policy. Now, I think they are wrong. Uh, Because, to your point, which I agree with, the world is fundamentally a safer, sounder place if the United States is in charge. And if we just cede Ukraine to Russia, does anybody think Vladimir Putin's going to stop with Ukraine? I certainly don't. you got Macedonia just to the south there. They're not a member of NATO. But these people don't seem to care. Right. They don't seem to care. They think that the guy ought to be able to take it all over with. And eventually there's going to be critical mass where the decisions of the world are going to be made. A lot of people had that exact same feeling when uh, Hitler's Germany went on the march and they went into Hungary and they started expanding their territories. And and a lot of people here thought that's none of our business. Yep. Uh, well, it doesn't affect us, and, and it took it took Japan bombing Pearl Harbor to get us into World War II. It was United Nations Week, which brings President Zelensky, President Biden, and many of the world leaders were in the United Nations up in New York making their speeches. Uh, following that, President Zelensky of Ukraine made a trip to the White House. He went over to the United States Senate, where he was met by bipartisan leadership of both McConnell and uh, Schumer, uh, greeted him, welcomed him, uh, and offered their support. On the House side, Speaker McCarthy refused to meet with them. Our own two senators from Missouri, man, were what? Two of the seven, I think, who voted against Ukraine. Uh, this is Josh Hawley and Eric Schmidt. Boy, we're up there with Ted Cruz and, a lot, you know, Mike Lee, the real crazy extremists. Well, Missouri is uh, all in on the extremism, anti-Ukraine. John Hancock, what's going on inside the Republican Party? Well, I, I think there's a fundamental disagreement about America's role in the world. I mean, I, you know, and Holly and Schmidt apparently, you know, take the more nationalistic position that I outlined a few minutes ago. Uh, I don't think I, they're not doing it to hurt the country. They believe that that is the proper role for the United States to play in world affairs. And and I think particular to Ukraine, they see that this is going to be an unending money pit that's not going to ever result in any resolution over there. And that's the position they hold, and that's why they voted that way. I disagree with it. But I understand it. Those are your two senators right here in Missouri. People pay attention to what's happening in Washington, D.C. That's Holly and Schmidt, both in the line with being anti-Ukraine. Hey, John, there's polling coming out of New Hampshire, the first Republican primary. It's a foregone conclusion. Donald Trump's winning it with almost one-third of the vote. But we're starting to see a flip. Ron DeSantis continues his free fall. Yeah. 
Uh, Nikki Haley moving up. Chris Christie moving up. Yeah, New Hampshire. He's in Christie's, New Hampshire. Christie's put all his chips on the table in New Hampshire, uh, and I don't know that he plays anywhere beyond there. But I do think there's a chance, a very small chance, like a three percent chance, that there you could see an upset in New Hampshire where Donald Trump doesn't win. Uh, the plurality of the vote. And that could, and again, this is a 3% chance. Uh, but if that happens and uh, he appears to be vulnerable, I think there's a chance that the party at that point could coalesce behind somebody, and Nikki Haley is as good a person as any, uh, and try and, and see if, if they can find a, an alternate nominee to Donald Trump. I think it very unlikely. Uh, if I had to put money on it, I would say Donald Trump's going to be the Republican nominee, and I wouldn't feel that I'm putting that money at risk. But there is the slightest chance something could change. There also was polling coming out of New Hampshire as it relates to the binary choice between the two nominees. If the nominee is between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, Donald Trump's getting clobbered in New Hampshire. Many people think that could be a sign of what he might face throughout the country. Well, New Hampshire's been historically a pretty competitive state. And, uh, you know, they've had Republican governors there, and certainly Republican presidential candidates have carried that state. The numbers I saw, I think it was 52 to 40, Biden over Trump. Uh, that's not an encouraging sign if you're uh, a Republican. So, But, yeah, those numbers are out there, and they're real. Man, we've got so much to cover this morning. It's going to be a big show. Michael, what do we got coming up? Well, we're going to visit with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jason Law from the St. Louis County, St. Louis County Strike Force. He's going to talk to us about the apprehension of that suspect. We're also going to visit about the Fenton Chrysler plant. Lots of talk about uh, auto plants out there. You're never going to believe what's happening out in Fenton. That's kind of cool. All of that and more coming your way right here on The Voice of St. Louis. It's Hancock and Kelly on a Friday morning. Hope you're enjoying your day. We'll see you after the news. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Well, hello there, everyone. Hope your Friday's going well. You've made it to the weekend. Going to be a big weekend in St. Louis. We got the Mizzou game going on at the Dome. Yeah. It's been a while since there's been a football the Memphis at the Dome. Tigers. Yeah. Well, we had Battlehawks football there last season. Oh, yeah. Did you ever make it to one of those games? Never did. I had tickets for the game that uh, was supposed to have been played right after they closed down the country for the. Yeah, pandemic. you were taking me to that game. Yeah. Uh, and then COVID hit. They I never closed got my money down. back for the tickets either. Really? Well, my understanding, I think they're going to merge both those leagues, the XFL and oh, is that uh, right? what's the other one, the USFL yeah, or whatever. They're going like to merge that. those two leagues. That will be interesting. Hey, John, uh, here's something that's interesting that I I don't see this from a political partisan view, so right. I'm just going to lay out my thoughts. Okay. John Fetterman, um, oh, who's boy. the United States senator from Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania uh, suffered a stroke. Um, has kind of got his own shtick of wearing hoodies and and shorts around. And uh, Senator Schumer, the Democratic leader, ultimately the leader of the United States Senate, came up with this uh, change in the rules that allows uh, members of the United States Senate to participate with not well, without wearing uh, a coat and tie if you're a man, uh, etc. And they've laxed the um, dress, dress code, code requirements. Yeah. Ridiculous. I, I agree with you. Um, and what's crazy to me, and I, I just go, yeah, and the reason I agree with you is because not everything has to be political. I thought we were going to Not everything this. has to be because a Democrat wants it and a Republican doesn't, that we've automatically got to draw our sides. Um, in this situation, I don't get it. Why are they changing the rules of the United States? I mean, this is a place they used to wear around in powdered wigs and, you know, goofy costumes. But they're awful, you know, there ultimately is a reverence to the institution of the United States Senate and putting yeah. on a necktie and a coat is a part of that. I don't, you know, and I, I get it. I'm empathetic to his uh, personal situation and the fact that he had this stroke and that he's more comfortable. Well, I'm ridiculous. also empathetic to the fact that a guy named... Uh, John McCain couldn't raise his hands above his shoulders, so it was hard for him to even tie his own necktie, and he put his suit on every day. 
Um, and what I'm watching is what disgusts me about what's going on in our country right now, which is that all the Democrats have got to line up to be on the side of Fetterman, and all the Republicans have got to take cheap shots and be against them. Can't we just knock it off? I mean, this is about being dressed in the one of the most reverent well, places exactly. we're supposed to be. It's, it's, it's really a sign of respect. You know, millions of people vote to put you in the United States Senate. Uh, and that is a that is a chamber, an institution that is extremely significant in this country, has been for our entire history. And there's a certain uh, level of respect to those voters and to the institution that I think an appropriate dress code shows. And, you know, it's I, I think it's devaluing the significant. I mean, a guy walking around the floor of the Senate with a hoodie and shorts on is just, it's unacceptable. Yeah, and, and to the Democrats who are upset, who are saying, oh, well, you don't understand, and there's no empathy. It's the same embarrassment when Ellen, when Bobart yells vile things at the President of the United States during the, the State of the Union speech. It's uncalled for. It doesn't have to be partisan. We can look at things objectively whether or not just as Americans and say, hey, no, this is really the way we ought to behave. And this whole tribalism where we're constantly getting into sides is just aggravating to me. Now, I think that this new dress code stuff is kind of good for work, you know, because you and I, when we first started showing up here, we were in pants and, and dress shirts. And now we come strolling in in jeans yeah, and we do. In regular clothes like everybody else. But that's the change that we're seeing in society I don't equate that to the United States Senate or the United States House. Yeah, when we started here, uh, Norma Walner. Uh, Norma. Woo. God rest her soul. Uh, she'd get on you if you had a pair of jeans on. You know, we were part-timers. We still right. are. Uh-huh. And uh, so we'd, I'd come strolling in with my jeans on, and you'd get the you'd get the eyeball there from Norma. And uh, you put on slacks the next time. You know, that, that was it. But I do think, you know, I like dress codes. And if we had a dress code, I would abide by it here um, because I I don't know. I, I think there's a certain respect. Now, if, if everybody's casual, then, you know, so be it. But I don't mind having dress codes. You know who is never casual around here? Hmm. One person. Hmm. No longer here. Kevin, Kevin Colleen. Colleen. Yeah. Right. Always in a necktie. Yep. Sometimes with a short sleeve shirt, right. which I always thought was interesting. <laughs> who wears a short sleeve shirt with a necktie? Kevin Colleen. Kevin Colleen. Yeah. But when you knew Kevin, you'd you'd expect it from from Kevin, but uh, yeah, you, you, I just uh, I don't get it. I do like the fact that we're laxing it. I mean, listen, I'll confess, we go on television, and you always show up in your whole suit. I do. I only wear the top part of my suit. I wear and jeans tennis shoes. and tennis, tennis shoes. shoes. I, you, well, that's I, because I, we sit behind a desk. Yeah. And and we sit there and we pontificate. Nobody ever sees what I'm wearing underneath there. Heck, during COVID, John Hancock, when we used to do it from our houses. I was sitting in my boxer shorts with a necktie on, yeah, that's you know, a because too much but, information. Well, well, what did it matter? You're not seeing me there. Yeah, but uh, you know, I think in a situation like that, you put the suit on, and you go out and you put the uniform on. You go out, you don't see the Cardinals running around with a jersey shirt on and a pair of blue jeans. No, they've got the uniform pants on. What what team was it that went to shorts one year? Chicago White Sox, 1976. And did they do the whole year or did they give up on it? I think they did the whole year. It might have been a couple of years. Bill Veck, yeah. Bill Veck owned the team. Uh-huh. In the, it was in the late 70s, yeah. yeah. Well, who Were there any big players that would have been in shorts that year? From oh, sure. The, like I mean, like uh, Reggie? No, Reggie didn't play no, for them. Uh-uh. Who? who? Just but, trying to think, wouldn't that be crazy? Can well, you imagine yeah. Albert Pujols at first base for the Cardinals and ten, uh, you know, and shorts? <laughs> yeah, it'd be yeah. weird looking. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was peculiar. And I, you know, now they they were long shorts, but I, if you're sliding into second base and you got no protection there, whew, yeah, you got some tough gravelish yeah. rocks that those guys are playing. Yeah, on. you're gonna have a hard time. You're you ever thrown out time. the first pitch at a game? Never have. Me neither. People say that it's like the most dangerous thing you can do. Not one more one, don't go on top of the mound. Why? Do it in front of it. Because you don't want to look like an idiot and bounce it on home plate or throw it off and hit the, the umpire because then you're going to wind up on SportsCenter for the rest of the year. You know, Stephen A. Smith, yeah. the big ESPN guy the other day, who likes to mouth off about, oh, man, the guy needs to do this. He went up there the other day and he bounced it into home plate. He was sheepishly embarrassed, as he should be. But I'm um, trying to think of the last time I played catch. Mm. Um, 
it I think we were on a vacation and the kids were older but I, I it's probably been 10 years since I played a game really? of catch with a baseball and a glove yeah well maybe I should bring a couple of gloves in one day and we'll do it right here in the newsroom you and I whipped a ball well, back well, we and forth we can't throw a ball in here buddy oh the newsroom we'll take brother take it outside the newsroom we go to that park where everybody gets shot and uh, play catch yeah well we can pick up our drugs yeah. uh, out there yeah. and you know check in on some of our friends and then you know throw the ball around yeah. a little bit i'm i'm for it although that thing's full of trees isn't it uh, i don't know that you have a, a good, you know, open space there. You remember playing catch with your dad? Oh, yeah. Wasn't it great? Man, he would come home from work. My dad my dad was a warehouseman, and he'd, he'd go in at 5.30 in the morning, and most days he worked overtime. Uh, but on days that he worked his regular eight hours, he'd be home about the time I came home from school, 3.30. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I would want to play catch, Dad, you know, and uh, and he would, never said no. And I And looking back, he had to be dead tired. Oh, sure. And um, and he never said no, and we'd go out, and I'd make a guy was a first baseman, so I'd make him throw him in the dirt, you know, so I'd scoop him up. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, we had, uh, I have very fond memories. When my dad was in his late 70s, I guess, uh, Johnny was young, and uh, and so Johnny and I would go out and play catch in the backyard, and um, and I said to da- my dad, I said, uh, "Hey, Dad, you want to throw a few?" And and he did. And he That's was, awesome. It was it was the last time we ever played catch. Yeah, yeah it was a special moment. I remember doing it as well. Yeah. We used to play a little uh, game of Indian ball. My oh dad yeah, and I. oh sure, yeah, yeah. And uh, on the porch, and then we had little places that if I hit it past this, it was a single a and double, a double, yeah. and then I would get my chance to throw. Boy, I miss those days. I bet a lot of you people uh, have had similar experiences uh, with your parents. Hey, when we come back. Um, Times have changed. Uh, You're no longer playing catch. Well, there's no longer a Chrysler plant out in Fenton. You're going to be surprised to find out what is there in place after this on Camo X. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference on News Radio 1120, Camo X. Well, we're all continuing to watch the strike that's going on with the UAW, and there could potentially be some developments. Obviously, one of the places the strike is taking place is right here in St. Louis at the Wentzville plant. Uh, but at one time, St. Louis had three, four uh, auto plants, and one of them we're all familiar with is Fenton. Uh, there was a huge Fenton plant. Chrysler. Chrysler plant in Fenton that's no longer there. And scratching my head and kind of wondering, well, what happened to that property? So let's go to the Quiver River Electric Guest Line, where we're joined by Scott Haley. He's the Managing Director of U.S. Capital Development. Scott, welcome to KMOX. Well, good morning, and thanks for having me. Most of us who grew up in St. Louis remember the Chrysler plant out there in Fenton. Uh, it got bulldozed. There was talk at one time that it could potentially be the site of a new football stadium. What's there now? Well, what's there now is um, since after the uh, the plant shuttered, um, we spent we, we acquired it in you know 2014-15, and we spent a bunch of time um, getting it prepared because all the uh, utilities were obsolete, no roads stuff. We really had to rebuild everything up. And since that time, in the last five years, we, um, we've been built nearly two million square feet of. Uh, industrial and office and some mixed use out there and uh, it's been an amazing uh, transformation from what what happened in 2009 when the plant closed did you keep any of the existing plant or did that all get you know bulldozed over well part our acquisition of the property you know they went through a process to uh, both assembly facilities were, were were raised and salvaged off and that occurred prior to our purchase however there was you know you know, millions of square feet of slabs, underground utilities, and all that that we had to handle during the uh, the renovation and refurbishment of the entire 300 acres. And when, so, I don't know how many square feet the the Chrysler plant was, but is there more uh, square feet under roof now than there was prior to the plant being there? It's it's probably uh, probably equal a little bit more. We have there there was two large facilities. You know, plants there. Now we have probably, um, you know, we have 10 or 12 large, you know, buildings that are range in size from 150,000 square feet to over 300,000 square feet and employing, you know, nearly 3,000 people out there on a daily basis and, you know, have a bunch of visitors coming in and out of there. Scott Haley is our guest here. He's the managing director, managing director of U.S. Capital Development. They have the 
Chrysler Fenton plant. What kind of businesses are out there? Is this mainly logistics stuff of companies that are warehousing supplies that are going to go places, or are there stand-up businesses that are operating on a daily basis? You know, that's a that's a great question. Uh, I think initially when we, we were um, took over the property and started developing, I think a lot of people thought it was going to be just purely warehouse and distribution. We have a lot of a lot of strong companies that are employee based, a lot more employees and and uh, skilled labor that are working out of those facilities. So we, you know, uh, David Stokes and the Gray Eagle um, distributors. Um, built their new headquarters in distribution. We have an, an Amazon last mile, First Form, a St. Louis-based company is doing amazing jobs. They've, they're taking, uh, they've taken three buildings out there, Hubble Killark, BASF, you know, uh, many others that are occupying. We're 100% lease. It's been a tremendous success, and we're really kind of focused on our last 13 acres on, for a retail development with hotel restaurants and stuff like that. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Food is my preferred topic. Uh, is there a place I can eat out there? Right now, we're we you know we, we've developed this in a kind of a, a segmented way to really kind of tell the story, control the narrative, and we've done a great job being able to utilize that. Now, our last focus is is the restaurants and some retail and in hotel. There is not there. There's obviously some surrounding stuff, but our goal is to um, complement the park provide opportunities for the traveling public going down 270 and 44 to, um, to, you know, bring services there so everybody can benefit. He is Scott Haley, Managing Director of U.S. Capital Development. They did the Chrysler plant. Congratulations on all the great work, Scott. Thanks for joining us on KMOX. All right. Thanks for having me. No worries. So, John, you know, it, I was up in North County the other day, and the old Ford plant was right. up there uh-huh. close to where Boeing's at, et cetera. Right. Same type of thing. Uh, that plant's been leveled now, and we have these huge industrial warehouses where I think Amazon and a lot of these new startup tech-type folks have built facilities. Uh, hey, St. Louis is a great place. We're right in the middle of the country. Yeah. We have all these great interstates, um, and uh, hopefully this is kind of maybe the future of where we're at. The days of huge corporations being headquartered inside the city of St. Louis may be over with, but we can take advantage of our location yeah. and our uh, infrastructure. Well, you know, you think about um, as a distribution center, it just makes all the sense in the world. I mean, we not only are centrally located, we've got a number of major uh, interstate highways that run through St. Louis in all directions, north, south, east, and west. Uh, you've got the river right there uh, for barge uh, shipping. Uh, and uh, and an airport that has got a lot of capacity to f- send more flights out. I mean, you, you put all of that and, and don't forget about the railways that we have. And all of that uh, in a central location, up and down the river, on the rail, on the roads, in the air. Uh, this It's a natural hub for distribution activity. I'm gratified to see it well, uh, finally kind of developing along that way. Yeah, and it's fortunate, right? Because at one time we were one of the great areas that built cars. Now we have the Winsfield plant that's in the midst of the strike right now. They've continued to invest in the Winsfield plant, and that's great. Um, But times have changed. Speaking of the UAW and the uh, the big three, Mm -hmm. um, I have been particularly, you know I'm a labor guy. I do. uh, Having workers stand up for their rights is something that I've, um, you know, supported my entire life and typically have found the Republican Party to be in opposition to that. Boy, we're watching uh, everybody from Cori Bush to AOC to Josh Hawley all in support of the United Auto Workers in this strike. It's got to be mind-blowing to you as a Republican, too, that suddenly you're on the side of workers. Well, I, I think um, a, a good deal of it. It relates to the fact that if you just look at the the folks that are working at the Winsville plant and they're making a good living there, uh, and increasingly those folks have been voting Republican. So I'm not shocked to see Republicans show some th- sympathy for their voters because in a very real sense, those are our voters uh, that are striking out there. And, uh, you know, you, you, I hope this thing gets resolved. What I don't want to see is a protracted uh, work stoppage 
that's going to result in layoffs all over the country. You know, I, I hope they get their act together sooner rather than are, later. Are we witnessing a realignment as it relates to, you know, typically over the last decade or so, uh, the, the buzzwords were union bosses and all oh, the unions are pouring in money and they want to put regulation in and they want to stifle business. We're starting to see both sides of the aisle support workers against mega corporations. Well, I mean, is this the populist movement moving forward, or are people starting to realize the wage disparity in this country is ridiculous? Well, I think it's a little of both. You know, I'm not one that uh, decries CEOs getting paid. I think uh, they they make what the market allows them to make, and I'm for people making what the market allows, and I'm for the workers if they can uh, if they can get more compensation, they should. And uh, I think in this particular case, I think those workers are in a pretty good spot. Uh, their mes- messaging has, has been solid, and and I think likely they're going to get more money out of this deal, maybe a lot more money. Uh, but I think the longer-term picture, though, for the auto industry is concerning to me because you've got this push for electric vehicles. It's not a push. It's happening, John. Right. 20% of the cars in the world are being right. sold are electric. It's right. going to happen. Yeah, I know. But that's not necessarily a good thing for the established auto industry because, they're, you know, it takes a lot to retool one of those plants. Yeah, the horse didn't like it when they invented the car, so maybe the combustion engine will have to figure it out. Hey, that's John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. When we come back, we're going to break down exactly how they caught this Tommy Wayne Boyd who escaped from Mercy South the other day who was in the custody of the Missouri State Prisons, uh, who wound up escaping. Boy, what a tale. We're going to break it all down with Lieutenant Colonel Jason Law after this on KMOX. Chiefs football this Sunday. As they entertain the Chicago Bears at Arrowhead. Pre-game at 2. Kickoff at 325. And you can hear the game on 97.1 FM Talk. Hey, welcome back to Hancock and Kelly right here on KMOX, the greatest radio station in the country. Don't forget you can see us Sunday morning at 830 on Fox 2 right here in St. Louis. We are joined in studio right now by Lieutenant Colonel Jason Law from the St. Louis County Police. He's also the director of the St. Louis County Strike Force. Lieutenant Colonel, thanks for joining us. Good morning. So obviously yesterday was a crazy day, right? The news broke that around 4 o'clock in the morning, a guy named Tommy Wade Boyd had escaped from Mercy South under the custody of the Missouri State Prison System. When did you first hear about this, Jason, and how did this go down? Well, so we first, the St. Louis County Police Department was first contacted around 4.30 in the morning by uh, to our third precinct. Uh, they responded immediately, and then we started to spin up resources at that point when we knew he had left St. Anthony's completely. So there's a, a notification that a prisoner a prisoner's missing, I guess a guard or somebody uh, noticed that the guy had escaped. Correct. He gets out, and so av- immediately they contact uh, St. Louis County, and the strike force goes into motion. What does that mean? What, what, what exactly happens when you get pulled into this? So I'm the commander of the Division of Special Operations. So what that means is I have a bunch of resources underneath me. They let me know, and then I begin to spin up resources and respond to that scene. We, you know, we have an active room. Um, we bring in everybody, all the decision makers. Uh, we bring in anybody that we think can help at that point. So it was a really great collaboration with the United States Marshals, the Missouri State Highway Patrol, St. Louis City, St. Louis County, and the Department of Corrections. It, it was a really good uh, room of people in there helping to make decisions. So who's who's guarding? So this guy, he's at he's as I understand, he was at the Potosi Correctional Facility in Washington County. Correct. And he's got a some kind of a sickness illness that he's dealing with, so he's got to go to the hospital. So they transport him to the hospital, and he's under guard. Who's guarding him at that point? The Missouri Department of Corrections is ah, guarding him okay. at that point. And apparently, something happened because the guy got away. Correct. The, the Missouri Department of Corrections is investigating the entire incident on how he left or how he got loose. Um, I don't know all the particulars of that event as of now, uh, but that is an internal investigation, and uh, I'm sure they'll release something at some point. So he, this guy had a pretty um, interesting journey, shall we say, through town after leaving St. Anthony's Hospital. What do we know about his activities leading up to his capture? So at around 10 a.m. when I gave the press conference, uh, 
there was a question, where's the perimeter? Well, we can't give that kind of information out at that point. Right. One, it's too fluid. And two, I had two active perimeters going at that point. We were pretty sure he was in South St. Louis at about 10 a.m. Uh, he hitched a ride. A good Samaritan gave him a ride down to South City near Tower Grove. And that's – but we didn't have 100 percent confirmation. So you can't release your first perimeter around right. St. Anthony's. So we had two active perimeters, but then once we were pretty confident that we uh, threw reports from citizens, we knew he was in that area. So was he from St. Louis? Did you think that he might know people in the area? Uh, obviously, he found a, a you called him a good Samaritan that gave him a hitchhike. But w- w- did, was he going to meet with people? What was up? No, he wasn't. He was just mirandering around. Uh, South St. Louis for a while. Here's um, a little uh, little public service announcement for our listeners out there. If there's an escaped felon in St. Louis and somebody is hitchhiking a ride on the road, <laughs> uh, I would strongly recommend not picking them up. So but, uh, little public he, service announcement. So yeah. you believe that he was in um, Tower Grove Park. That's not where you all wound up finding him. Correct. But there was a great uh, uh, police presence. Everybody saw the choppers. We saw the... You know, the police all converging on the park. Was he in the park? What was yes. he doing there? So that's that's kind of interesting. Uh, they were hold, There was an event being held in there for uh, re- registering voters, and they had a hot dog stand, <laughs> and he was hungry. Of course. So he decided to go ask a f- get an- answer a few political questions, and he got a hot dog. Um, <laughs> Are you a convicted felon? <laughs> right. So, you know, and he still had his orange shoes on. Oh, oh, that's a that's a dead giveaway. Oh, so he, when he got picked up, he was still in the same outfit that now. He when was we we- got him later, I don't know the specifics of that yet. Okay, but the orange shoes he was wearing some type of slipper that must be issued by the state of Missouri. Correct. So that is all going down yesterday around what lunchtime uh, inside yeah, the park? Probably around in between ten and. When did you realize that, okay, he's not in Tower Grove Park, and what other leads were you able to follow? How were you coming up with tracking this man? So in our command post, we have several people. One of them is monitoring Crime Stoppers at all times. So we kept on getting those Crime Stopper Oh, the tips, yeah. So we were, you know, dispatching resources on every tip. So we were running down every one. And you got to realize only about one out of every three is Real. Real. Um, But we also deployed the Department of Corrections had their bloodhounds there. And I never thought I'd deploy bloodhounds in the city of St. Louis, but we did yesterday. And he got on a good track, and it took him outside the park. And that's when we kind of knew that he had probably gotten past, you know, he had probably left before we even got there. Okay, so what ultimately leads to the fact that he's at uh, in Shrewsbury? So he's he's gone from way south, deep south St. Louis County all the way down into Tower Grove Park. You later find him at Shrewsbury. How do you get notification from someone that they think that's who it is? So that's, ex- you know, I have to say the media did a fantastic job of getting his picture out. Uh, without the media and citizens, it would have taken a lot longer to get to this guy. But there was a, a, a great citizen that saw him, uh, monitored him from a distance, called 911, and we were able to apprehend him on that lot of Deerbergs pretty quickly. Huh. And this was a bad dude, right? What yes. What was he in for? Enticement of a child. Two times. Wow. So he's, he's, he's a predator. He needed to get off the street quick. We often document the dysfunctionality that takes place in this region. Right. It sounds like when it comes to this situation, it was the exact opposite. You, you, it sounds like you had seamless cooperation across all of the regional partners. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and, and you know what? I've been involved, especially with the St. Louis Gateway Strike Force, um, with collaboration in the region. And it's hard sometimes. You know, people have their own opinions about things. but And you kind of have to drop your ego at the door to get a good collaboration going. And we brought – when we started with – uh, right at 5 a.m., our, our police officers were working with the marshals anyway during that time at 5 a.m., so they responded immediately. They were in our command post. The Missouri State Highway Patrol, they did a fantastic job of giving us resources, along with the Department of Corrections. Um, when we realized it went into the city, I called my chief of police and had him call Chief Tracy and said, we need to spin these guys up on this. We need to get make sure they're on board. They immediately cooperated and it was just – it was a really good organized deployment of resources regionally. When you ultimately catch him in Shrewsbury, was it 
was it a rather, I don't know if peaceful is the right word, but was there a standoff? What what was the actual apprehension of him like? No, to me, and this is my opinion, to me, I thought he, I believe he thought it was a game. He was, when he got caught, he gave up, and he goes, you got me. Hmm. And he went peacefully. Wow. That was, uh, well, it certainly captivated our attention yesterday. A great job done. Uh, Jason Law, Lieutenant Colonel Jason Law with the St. Louis County Police Department is our guest. He runs the St. Louis Gateway Strike Force. Really fascinating stuff going on over there. We're going to step aside for just a moment, but when we come back, uh, we're going to talk with Colonel Law some more. Hey, welcome back to KMOX. It's Hancock and Kelly. We've been visiting with Lieutenant Colonel Jason Law from St. Louis County Police. He's also with the St. Louis County Strike Force. They apprehended the escaped prisoner yesterday, Tommy Wayne Boyd, uh, in Shrewsbury. We talked through that before. Uh, but, Captain or Lieutenant Colonel, your job on a daily basis is running the St. Louis County Strike Force. What is that? So I was just promoted from there. So Tim Ware is the director of that now. Oh, okay. Um, but the St. Louis Gateway Strike Force is something that um, we put together probably about four years ago. It's one of 19 federally funded operations in the country. And what you do is you it has to be collaborative. So we worked up to that point for several years to get that designation. And that was my job from 2015 to mo- mostly till 23, the beginning of 23. And what we have in there is 50 different agencies from – all over the region that collectively work together to combat violent crime, narcotics, and guns. When you say the region, does that mean both sides of the river? Both sides of the river are involved. And this is, many of us have often heard about crime fighting where you're targeting the worst of the worst. Is that really what this is about? Well, I wouldn't say targeting. What we do is it's, it's getting more in depth now. We do a lot of data analysis now. So inside the strike force, we have 150 different agents, detectives, and uh, analysts that are continually going over crime data. And we're deploying resources based off of that. Technology such as license plate readers and cameras and our employees, our detectives. Uh, A lot of times we're in the gang areas. um, And in those same gang gang areas, you're going to find the highest rate of overdose deaths as well. So we're trying to, you know, preserve life. Yeah, it's really interesting. And you've got local, state, and federal agencies all participating here. Uh, Talk about some of the success, because I heard you give a speech uh, the other day where you talked about there are 300 gangs uh, operating in the St. Louis area. Yes, there's 300 different gangs operating in in a majority of North St. Louis and North St. Louis County. There's some in South County as well. Uh, We call them hybrid gangs. So you know, they get mad at their buddies within a gang and they'll start a new gang. And some of the gangs are more structured than others. You talk about, you know, certain gangs like the Black Mafia family. They're very structured throughout the country. But then if you talk about a gang like Big Bucks, they're just not as organized but are still extremely violent. Yeah, and some of these folks are connected uh, with drug cartels and south of the border. I mean, this is a fairly elaborate matrix. It's not just a local group of bad kids. Uh, these are big-time organized crime syndicates. Correct, and, and that's that's why you need a regional St. Louis Gateway Strike Force because you need to combat crime and you need to be involved from the border to St. Louis. There's a lot of highways that go through St. Louis, and those are trafficking uh, lanes as well. How much drug trafficking takes place here in a given period of time, a week, a month? I mean, I can tell you that we get kilos of fentanyl all the time. Um, There's no longer heroin in St. Louis. It's all fentanyl. And that's, you know, fentanyl is the components to make fentanyl are from China, which they're sent through Mexico, where they're made into fentanyl, and then they cross the border through those drug routes. I actually went and, you know, visited the border and saw how difficult it is to manage. And, um, you know, the Border Patrol gets a lot of flack, but they do a good job. Wow. Um, how are you, how are these gangs recruiting kids? Are they using social media or is it just folks in desperate situations? I, I think it's all kinds of different. I think it's schools. I think it's music. I think it's, um, you know, desperation, um, lack of resources in those areas. Do you still have hope? Like, is this fixable or yeah. is this just something we're going to live with 
forever that that, that these folks are going to be joining gangs and these cartels are going to be running stuff from south of the border? You know, I, I I have hope all the time. You know, I think anything can be fixed. Uh, I think we have the components in place to help do it. I think we just need a little more collaboration and getting folks in the same direction. And I think we can make a difference. Have you have you seen some areas in the county uh, where you feel like the strike force has really made a difference already? So we, we started something in 2021 called the Violent Crime Initiative. It's not a task force. What it is is it's leveraging all the resources we have. It's leveraging the strike force. It's le- leveraging the precincts. It's leveraging their detectives. And we started that and piloted it in 2021 in the city of Jennings. We dropped violent crime by 30 percent in one year. So I think as we go on and we scale that, it's hard to scale, but we can. I I think that'll be effective. We also have a large component of community engagement. I think that's extremely important as well. So you talked about North City and North County. Are there uh, being particular crime hotspots in the area? Are there pockets within those two regions that are hotter spots than others? Or is it basically all of North City and County? So I, you know, the data the data tells us that we we can map to a quarter mile. So we can tell you the crime per quarter mile in any area of North St. Louis County. Um, there's hot spots, and it it changes. You know, it's it's fluid. Um, but with having the St. Louis Gateway Strike Force, and it's ran very well by Captain Tim Ware, um, we're 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 deploying resources very quickly, and and it's making a difference. Obviously, since September 11th, we've all heard the phrase, if you see something, say something. What what role can regular people play in assisting this? Because, look, we probably see it in our own neighborhoods. Hey, something's going fishy on the end of that block. Those people seem to be up to something. Or, wow, there's some folks coming out here into Winsville uh, hanging out in a parking lot that, that shouldn't be doing whatever it is that they're doing. What can regular people do to help the strike force? You know, calling in is... It's not that hard, and we will respond. We respond to every single call. I don't care if it's in, you know, North County, South County, West County. We're going to respond, and we'll respond efficiently. Um, Crime Stoppers is a valuable tool, like I told you prior, with the escaped convict. Um, Backstopper, or I'm sorry, Crime Stoppers, uh, they were getting tips the whole time, and that was, if we didn't have that those resources, it would have been much longer manhunt. Yeah, do you find, uh, you talked about community engagement some and how officers are really starting to, you know, get intertwined in the communities. Uh, how difficult is that? And and do you experience a lot of resistance in local communities to officers getting involved? You know what? No, I think we have a great community engagement group and we hold, you know, we have daycares for folks and hold camps in North and South County and do all kinds of fun things with kids and Trying to, you know, just steer them in a good direction and having that, you know, ability wait, to talk to each other. You don't know that Crime Stoppers number off the top of your head, do you? I do not. We'll get that. We'll, I think it's we'll like one eight hundred Crime Stoppers. Yeah, there you so. go. He is Jason Law. He's a lieutenant colonel of St. Louis County uh, Police and the St. Louis County Strike Force. Kind enough to join us. Thanks and great work yesterday on apprehending this suspect. Thank you very much. John Hancock, we fooled him yet again yeah, for another uh, week. We will be back with you again next week. We're going to stick around for an hour or so with we Amy are. and Chris mm. and talk some stuff. Then you and I will get out there and play some snooker together. Yes. Don't forget you can see us at 8.30 on Sunday mornings on Fox 2 uh, as we will have Hancock and Kelly, the television show. Also, we got Mizzou football down here in downtown St. Louis. The Cardinals are out in San Diego. At least the weather will be nice regardless of what happens to the team. Yeah, and the Blues preseason kicks off uh, tomorrow afternoon uh, down at the uh, Enterprise Center, so that's all going to be fun. I want to thank Frank Ladd for putting this together today. James O'Sullivan doing a splendid job, as always, on the uh, board, helping us out. Michael Kelly and John Hancock. It is the Chris and Amy show just around the corner. You won't want to miss a word of that, and that's coming your way next on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX.